in the incarnation God comes down into our humanity in the ascension our humanity is taken up into the life of God because when Jesus ascends into heaven he takes his human nature his humanity he takes it, he takes it with him in other words he takes us with him and all sorts of things now are restored Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and His promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Well, good morning, Pastor Wolf Miller. <laughs> Go to heaven. It is an early morning. I have something for you. Table Talk Radio. Good thing we're not live. That's the truth. <laughs> that right there is the truth. Evan's chiding me because I slept in this morning, and about two minutes before we were supposed to start recording, I, I called him and said, hey, I just woke up. <laughs> uh, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a great Table Talk Radio show in store for you, despite Pastor Wolf Miller's slumber. Um, first, we're going to be talking about emails and forum posts, and then we're going to be doing Bible B slash Law and or Gospel Super Game. I think that the Super Game is becoming Pastor Wolf Miller's new favorite. I do. And then, I, love, I love Bible B, and I love Law and or Gospel, and put them together. It's love squared. Love squared. <laughs> And then we're going to play some um, <laughs> Name That Theologian. So pretty good lineup yeah. for Table Talk Radio. First, we need to start off with our buzzwords. you want to give me your theological buzzword? Yes, the word for you today, Evan, is rectilinear. <laughs> okay. Rectilinear meaning that uh, the uh, prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Christ, so that there's a straight line, a rectilinear, uh, between the promise and the fulfillment in Jesus. Okay, and mine for you. I've been, <laughs> I've been so mean to you on my my theological buzzwords. <laughs> I don't. It's all right. I, I don't think you've been it. getting any of mine lately. <laughs> but I think today is is uh, no exception. Um, your theological buzzword is theosis, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, theosis means uh, um, deification or making divine. And it's a word mostly used in Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, which basically um, uh, they would teach that the indwelling of Christ uh, makes one, uh, I guess, to to the point of what Adam and Eve was before the fall. Um, the, the problem with 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 this is it denies this uh, declaration of of uh, justification that we are declared uh, to be righteous on account of what Christ has done. Um, also, it doesn't really ever deal with with the sin problem uh, about justice and guilt, uh, any of that either. Yeah, it's uh, the the ideas of theosis really revolve around nature. So how can the creature and the create and the and the creator uh, be together? Uh, while the major problem, um, the the major problem in the scriptures is a question of how can what's holy be with what's unholy. So you have those two different dynamics going on in the different kind of systems of salvation. But we'll talk about that later when I get the buzzwords. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, uh, let's uh, tap into the Table Talk Radio forum by going to our website, tabletalkradio.org, and then we have a forum button right there. And uh, as I look at this, I have I have a, <laughs> a few good posts. <laughs> this is pretty good. Okay, uh, on the forum for our, our 42nd show, which, that's the one, remember, Pastor, where we had uh, Professor Pless on to play Answer the Question As? Yes, uh, and, a classic in the tabletop radio world. <laughs> and one of <laughs> one of the <laughs> options to be rolled was to answer this question as Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and one of our listeners posted on the forum uh, said, um, "What would happen if Oprah married Deepak Chopra? She would be Oprah Chopra." <laughs> <laughs> Oprah, Oprah, will you marry me, Oprah? <laughs> and uh, he also says, uh, "This is the best show ever." Pastor Wolfman's Deepak Chopra rendition is superb. What a crack up! Uh, I think I, was, I would beg to differ, but <laughs> I was trying to make a game, uh, Chopra or Wolfmuller, where I would do some <laughs> Chopra imitations, and then we'd actually have a Chopra clip. It's amazing. I haven't that been able to fly. get it together yet. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> he also said it's a little eerie when Professor Pless switches gears uh, like that to answer the questions as different people. I agree. He's that's the truth. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Okay, it's and then, like uh, it's like theological magic. It's uh, how does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> that's right. And then uh, we have a post actually from the same listener uh, in our open comments section, and it's titled. Wither Iron Preacher. What happened to the Iron Preacher, Brian the Wolf Wolfmuller? I, <laughs> I saw that family film, The Wrestler, as the main character, Randy the Ram Robinson, said, When you live hard and you play hard and burn the candle at both ends in this life, you can lose everything you love, everything that loves you. A lot of people told me I'd never wrestle again, and they said, He's washed up. He's finished. He's a loser. He's all through. You know what? The only one's going to tell me when I'm through doing my thing is you people here. You people here. You people here. You're my family. And he said, it's like they stole the whole plot for the film from Table Talk Radio. <laughs> and then he concludes with saying, bring back the wolf. Bring back the Iron Preacher. <laughs> and uh, I think we, we are going to have a little Iron Preacher coming up. We've had, uh, we've had questions about our technology uh, on Iron Preacher. Uh, our connections haven't been the greatest, um, and so uh, with, with Skype and with our timing and this sort of thing, but uh, we've got some new equipment in place, and so Iron Preacher is ready to make its glorious return. Yeah, uh, very so soon. I, I've gotten, it only took me about two or three months to get over my defeat. Oh, that's not true. Come on. You were moping around forever after that. <laughs> I'm, I'm better now. I'm ready to jump back in the saddle. Carrie said you used to, to cry to yourself sleep. to sleep at night. <laughs> Oh, Todd Wilkin. Todd Wilkin. Yeah, yeah. You, wake you'd up wake up screaming Wilkin. <laughs> it wasn't really an outline. He didn't really give an outline. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Dr. Fikensher, our judge, our typical judge of Iron Preacher, his big thing is complete sentences. And if you notice, his theme isn't a complete sentence. Go back and listen. Oh, That's show uh, 28. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah, this is show 40. What, was this 48? 48, and that was show 28. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, that, yeah, uh, Iron Preacher coming soon to a uh, computer speaker or radio speaker near you. All right, uh, let's play. Um, oh, I, oh, yeah, I do have one more email before we before we get into our law gospel games. 
Um, and this one uh, is sent in to us by uh, Frank in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Frank writes, uh, I listened to Uwe Sumanetto, uh, a three-hour-long interview on the Doctrine of the Two Kingdoms um, on SimCast. I got the impression that the left-hand kingdom is ruled by reason, whereas the right-hand kingdom is ruled by grace through faith in Christ. I find it objectionable when theologians and others blindly bow to governmental authority, citing Romans 13 as justification for always obeying our rulers. I like Acts when it says that we always obey God rather than man, so when the government infringes on the gospel, we must obey God. I see evil opposing itself uh, I see evil posing itself in the various governmental authorities, and I also see the Christian church failing to always oppose evil at every turn. For instance, if all Christians voted against pro-abortion and pro-homosexual Obama, we would not be hamstrung with all the pro-death legislation uh, legislation and judicial activities. My own pastor would not even inform his congregation that the two major parties are on opposite sides of these moral issues. Therefore, I believe that he, like many Christians, do not oppose evil. Government exists to serve the people and not vice versa. I believe many theologians have confused and believe the founding fathers of this great nation sinned by not bowing to government authorities and tyranny. All right, so what do you make of Frank's email? Well, can we start at the end and work backwards? This is a huge question, but well, let's ju- actually let's set some premises. Uh, this Umi Ui Samineto, I haven't seen this um, the video, but the way Frank described it is right that there are two kingdoms. There's uh, we commonly commonly call them the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left, the the state and the church. There's really three estates among men uh, through which God rules: family, state, and church. Uh, but this state and church, these are the two two big ones to understand. We call the, the state the God's left-hand kingdom, and we call the church God's right-hand kingdom. And the, the left-hand kingdom is ruled by power and by reason, ought to be anyhow. The right-hand kingdom uh, is ruled by God's word uh, and his mercy, at least that ought to be as well. And, the, and they're distinct kingdoms here. Now, we live in both as Christians. We both are citizens and we're Christians, so we live in both kingdoms, and we have different roles to play in the different in the different kingdoms. Now, when it comes to how we treat our rulers and those who are elected and stuff, we have these clear rules from the uh, scriptures, the commandment of God, really all flowing from the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, where we submit and honor uh, and obey the, all authority. So all authority given among men is given for us to obey unless that authority tries to take the place of God and command something that's sinful. And then you get what you have, for example, in the book of Acts. Uh, we must obey God rather than man. So so that's kind of the ground rules. Good so far? Yeah, so it's not as if uh, Romans 13 and, and Acts are against each other. No, that's exactly right. In other words, if government commands us to do something, or those that are in authority command us to do it, we do it, unless it would be a sin, and then we don't do it. Uh, okay. We so then, if the government comes with an evil, then we oppose it. And Frank used this language of oppose evil. The church is always opposing evil in every form, be it false doctrine or breaking of the commandments or whatever. The church is always opposing evil. The question is how. And let's answer that question how right after this break from Table Talk Radio. Don't go away.
You're listening to Table Talk Radio, Serious Theology, Seriously Bad Hosts. Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money, that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God uh, throughout the world. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're currently responding to this email uh, by Frank in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, asking the questions, what about the right-hand, left-hand kingdom? Right, and we're talking about how do you oppose evil. So the church always opposes evil. The question is how. Now, th- this is where it gets a little bit tricky. The church as church opposes evil with the only authority that she has, namely God's word, preaching, uh, teaching. So the church, when evil comes around, the church preaches against it, it speaks against it, it uh, it teaches against it. It says clearly that abortion is the sin of murder and that it should not be legal in a land to murder people. So uh, how can you support someone who is pro-murder? You can't – a pro-murder party shouldn't exist. Uh, the, the church uh, preaches against the – on the, when someone sins against the seventh commandment, theft, and they say, look at the – uh, the way that the government is acting here, this is this is theft. You're stealing from people, and it should not be so. But you see, the the church itself does not bear the sword. In other words, all the church can do is preach against these things, and then you know what happens is the government would bring the sword to the church to silence her. And when uh, when the um, uh, when in the book of Acts they say we must obey God rather than man, they realize that in in disobedience to man that they'll be thrown in jail, that they'll be even killed, uh, but that this is the lot of the church that stands up to oppose tyranny and evil in every case. So rather than killing to to in defense of what's good, the church is willing to be killed in defense of what's good. So that's the the first thing. The church always opposes evil, but never with the sword. But the second thing is this: as citizens in in this country, where we have an, uh, you know, we have elections, and we have, uh, you know, we are a representative republic, and we have the right to vote and to speak our opinion. As citizens, we can do even more. We can go and protest. We can uh, we can vote against evil uh, and hope that good would be elected. This sort of thing. Uh, so we have some sort of role to play in that. But as Christians, we never bear the sword. We never take up arms in defense of God's commandments or of the creed. We always speak it, and then the sword comes, is really brought down on us. Yeah, that's right. It's an amazing thing, by the way, in Romans 13, when Paul says, Obey and uh, obey the rulers, submit to those who are in charge. Every authority that exists is appointed by God. That apparently, Paul was writing this from Rome when Nero was the Caesar there in Rome, and he was this was the guy who would dip Christians in tar and and put them up on sticks to light the streets at, of Rome at night and and that's the guy that they're supposed to submit to so th- this is a, a it's quite a stunning thing the Christian submission to authority uh is a radical submission uh but it's not one that's that's willing to sin ever in or, that or, submission. or to silence on the truth Right, that's exactly right. Okay, very good. Okay, let's play some Bible B slash Law Gospel super game. Yeah. Um, do you want me to go first? Then I'll I'll give you my mine first. All right. And, I'm um, ready. <clears throat> B 
because because uh, you're just the all star at this game, you actually have to identify these further than the book. And I think you'll know what I mean when, after I read this. All okay. Right. All right. The first one is, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstead out of its place unless you repent. Nice. Are, are these all are these all going to be from the same spot, by the way? Maybe. <laughs> this is the book of Revelation, uh-huh. chapter 3. It's the beginning. You remember that the beginning of the book of Jesus, John sees the initial vision of Jesus. Uh, in fact, that's what the revelation is, the revelation of Jesus. And then uh, the Lord writes these seven letters to the seven churches. Uh, the seven lampstands, the seven angels, all of this. So Jesus writes to each one. And this, I believe, is comes from the letter to the church in Laodicea, which is in Revelation chapter 3. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Oh, so, uh, so I will... read, read the first part again. Let me try it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Oh. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you first... You did it first, or else I am coming to you and remove the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You are neither hot nor cold. Is it? Is it Ephesus then? Second it is guess? Ephesus. Okay. The church in Ephesus. Ephesus. The church of Laodicea is the one that has the open the door, knock, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but this is the. Is this also where you're hot? You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. No, that is Laodicea. That's Laodicea too. Okay. So the church in Ephesus has left their first love. He, Paul, uh, Jesus says to them that they that they have their doctrine right. They that they have opposed rightly the synagogue of Satan. Is that the language that I remember right? In other words, they're they're orthodox and they're opposing these false teachers, but they've left their first love. And so go back and do the works that you did at the beginning. Uh, it's a it's a quite a marvelous passage there. I don't get any points for that. Okay, you get. I'll give you a hundred for getting the book Revelation, and I'll give you fifty for guessing Ephesus on the second try. So one hundred and fifty for guessing where it's at, and now you have the task of identifying law and or gospel. Oof. Well, I. Hmm, huh. Ooh. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, this is kind of. I don't know why this is tricky. Really? Uh, I want to say law uh, at first because, you know, each of the letters has kind of a uh, uh, Jesus would commend them for something. And then he would say, but this is bad. And so this is the but this is bad part. You've left your first love. Uh, do the works that were at the beginning. Which, and by so the way, can I, can I stop you real quick? Because yeah? we forgot to explain the rules of this game uh, a lot in our gospel. And I'll, I'll just do that real briefly. Uh, oh, yeah. Basically, uh how we play this game is when we read this uh, this verse, not only do we have to identify where it's from, which is the Bible be part of the game, but the law gospel part of the game is uh, if it, if it's law, then this is these are the parts of scripture that that show us truly who we are in the light of of God's uh, perfect demand. So God demands perfection of us, and we constantly refuse or will refuse, but we cannot uh, live up to that perfection. And so in the law, we see our sinfulness and our inability to do that. The gospel then is everything that Christ has done for us. Uh, his righteousness has been given to us, and so uh, anything that talks about the work of God, uh, especially to us uh, for our forgiveness and, and justification, is gospel. So with that said, continue uh, where you left off. 
Yeah, maybe I was having trouble because I didn't. You hadn't explained the rules to me. Right, you forget yeah. this a lot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, uh, so it it doesn't. It certainly has some law there, but but I want to find some gospel as well. So I want to be able to say both. With this return to your first love, um, we know John says this so clearly in first first John. He says, "We love. This is love, not that we love God." That Now, that word not is a quite a stunning word. It's not our love for God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So that the love that we have for God is always a reflection of the death of Jesus. So when it says, return to your first love, this is almost a call back to the gospel. Remember how sweet it was when you realized that even though God should cast you off forever, he won't. He cast his son off in your place so that you could uh, could rejoice and be with him. So that it's a rem, remember how it was when you first tasted that the Lord was good, not mad, but happy, not wrathful, but loving. Remember that. And so I think this text is both law and gospel. Yeah, I mean, certainly the last part uh, is strong law. I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand uh, out of its place unless you repent. I mean, that's that's strict law for sure. Um, yeah, that's right. I had forgotten that part. But but you're right. I mean, the top part. Um, for you have left your first love. Gospel. Okay. All right, you have one for me. We have uh, two and a half minutes left in this segment. Oh, dear, you'll take care of this one and no problem. You ready? Okay. <laughs> for you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. And they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there's no end to their treasure. Their land is also full of horses, and there's no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their own fingers have made. Read, read the first line again. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. Oh man, I have no Eastern ways. I love that little phrase there. <laughs> don't don't you dare try to get your uh, theological buzzword in on this on this one. <laughs> That's right. Oh, the East they like this theosis stuff. Uh, I, that doesn't count. I won't use it. I, the Eastern ways here. They're talking about you know the kind of Oriental religion, so Babylon and Persia and their different idolatries, the Zoroastrianism, and all of this kind of dualistic or monistic or um, Gnostic sort of theology, and it crept into the to the people of Israel. I don't know this one either. Um... I'm going to guess, <laughs> I don't know, First Samuel. That's close. You always it's say that when it's Isaiah. not close. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so that's not really close at all, really. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. That's how they say it in Texas, Isaiah. Isaiah. You, you, the way that you do things in Texas is just you add an R here and there. <laughs> You'll learn that when you go down to Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I I can't wait to talk like a Texan. Boy, that'll I'll just um we we have about thirty seconds left, so I need to analyze if this is law and or gospel. Here, I'll give it to you again. The land is full of silver. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. The land is full of idols. The work of their own hands, what they've made with their own fingers. The people bow down. Each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to go with law. Um, you know, the, the summary of the commandments uh, we have is, is found in, in the first commandment, and that is um, you should uh, fear and love God um, above all things. And, um, and, and so here we have this, this laundry list of things that, that they are putting before God. And uh, we can talk more about that on the other side of this break. So let's take a quick break, and we'll continue talking about this when we get back. Don't go away. Table Talk Radio. The games are just an excuse. And now it's time for Table Talk Extras with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Imagine a ravenous wolf. I mean, ravenous means hungry, starving, skinny because it hasn't eaten in so long. And so with its lips licking its chops and the gleam in its eye, it's coming after you to devour you and nothing is going to get in its way. That's the terrible kind of imagery that Jesus gives when he talks about false prophets, ravenous wolves who seek to devour you. But there's something else that Jesus says. They come to you, not as outwardly dressed ravenous wolves, but dressed in sheep's clothing. Now this is the problem. If we see a ravenous wolf, if we see a starving bear, if we see a mangy, hungry lion charging for us to devour us, we know just what to do. You don't even have to think about it. You run. But if we see a little lamb, a little sheep, just looking cuddly and cute and looking at us with big, round, wet eyes. We say, oh, what a beautiful little thing. And we go up to it and we pet it and we cuddle it and we invite it home and we feed it with the cats, this sort of thing. So it is that false teachers find their way into the church because they do not look outwardly like what they are inwardly. They are ravenous wolves who will stop at nothing to destroy us. But they look like peaceful little sheep. So Jesus says you will know them by their fruits, by their words, by their teaching. Do they bring me Christ crucified for the forgiveness of my sins? Do they preach the law in its harshness and the gospel in its sweetness? Or do they bring me some sort of mixture of law and gospel, of forgiveness and works? If this ravenous wolf has found its way into your house, throw it out, for you know just what it is. Amen. This has been a production of Table Talk Radio. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Did I get any points for guessing the right testament in that? <laughs> two points. Two points for the ro- for the right testament. Oh, so All that right. gives you 202 because I gave you 200 for your law answer. All right. 202 got... to whatever I have. Yeah, 350 is what you have. So law, that was law, right? Law. Okay. The first commandment you were saying has something to do with loving God and not having idols. Right, so here we have this this long list of idols, and um, and uh, obviously these these people are um, treating the all these things as as their god. So uh, strict law, especially the last part: do not forgive them. That's law. That, so this is Isaiah chapter two, verses six to nine. Really, we've been looking at, and then at verse ten, it gets into this long thing about how the Lord is just going to be a blast furnace of judgment. 
and he talks about hiding in the rocks. And then the classic, this is the classic line. This is over in verse 20. In that day, the judgment day, men will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which he made each to himself to worship to the moles and bats. (laughs) In other words, people are going to be running from the judgment of God that these things that they treasured so much, their idols, they're just going to be throwing over their shoulders because it's weighing them down so they can go and find a place to hide in the rocks. It's a classic picture. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, are you ready for another crack? I am ready. Man, this is easy. I should, uh, are any of your kids around that want to play this game? Nope. Okay, I guess it's just you. Here it is. Remember, you have to not only identify the book of the Bible. (laughs) Your verse is this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and, and dine with him and he with me. I already got this one, I think. That's, I know. Uh, you already said it. The letter of Jesus to the church at Laodicea. Ah, uh, no, I'm sorry. This is uh, Billy Graham. <laughs> this is a classic proof text <laughs> for the evangelicals. Uh, and the, and this is the text. So, well, someone was sent us an email, the Table Talk Radio email, I think, that uh, was asking about this very text. And they said um, oh, yeah. they were reading some Lutheran materials, and, and they said they used this verse, and they said, what's the door there? And you're supposed to get people to understand that it's the door of your heart. I don't know whatever – I don't know what the door of your heart looks like, but it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's the door of the church. That's what, who Jesus is talking to. He says, look, as a church, you have – Cast me aside. Now we know that Jesus is not talking to to the unbeliever here. He, um, or at least not the kind of unconverted. He's talking to his church in which he should be sitting right in the in the center of this place. But but they've they've left him out. They've cast him aside. They a church without Jesus. Now we say. Ah, come on, a church without Jesus, that's crazy talk. But you, I mean, really, when you start to pay attention to the churches around you today, you find that. It's as if you could go to a worship service, and it's as if Jesus doesn't even uh, doesn't even matter. It's like he's not on the radar. Our friend uh, Todd Wilkin over there at that other show, um, what is that show uh, Todd Wilkin does? Uh, uh, if you could, I can't. Well, anyways, prob- you, they do problems except or something like that. <laughs> he has the sermon cruncher where the question is, how many times is Jesus mentioned? And you think, now that's crazy to ask that question. I mean, are you nuts? But but then when you start to ask it, you see, whoa, it, it's true. Uh, Jesus doesn't doesn't oft show up in these sermons. Uh, so this is a. Uh, this is really a wake-up call to the churches today. This is not an evangelism conversion text. It's a it's a text for the church to repent, who thinks that she can exist uh, apart from the vine of Jesus and apart from his word and his promise of forgiveness and his gifts. 200 points for that answer. Thank you. I think it's both, then, therefore, law and gospel, because the law part is, look, you're going to be judged bad if you don't do this. I mean, look, I, I'm not anywhere in the midst of you, but the gospel part is I'm I'm right here. Uh, I haven't abandoned you, and I'm coming then not in judgment, but in, but f- peacefully and friendly to give you gifts. I'm knocking on the door. I'm not tearing it down. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, people, it's this kind of goofy idea about with Jesus living in your heart. Now, I know the text says uh, in Ephesians, there's a, a passage that says that Christ is in us. 
uh, in our hearts even. And so we can't say that Jesus isn't in our hearts. But the, the, uh, the, the way the Bible normally talks is that we're in Christ. It's not, uh, uh, it's not him being in us, although that's true. That's not the main thing. It's that we're, we are found in him. The, the danger of always talking about Christ and me is that it's, um, it's almost as if I can somehow control him or, or have him or uh, something like this. But this is not at all the case. And, and this language of being of Christ in us, we want to always have it tempered by Christ for us. It's Christ for us that forgives us and wins us salvation. It's in Christ in us which brings sanctification and holiness and things like that. That's one of the problems with the doctrine of theosis, uh, is that it puts the Christ in us ahead of the Christ for us. It puts sanctification and being made holy ahead of justification and being declared righteous. 450. Bing, bing, bing. 450? What? All right. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Well, was decent, I guess. <laughs> Do you think we should talk about anything else? Probably. Oh, give, give me another one so I can miss it again. <laughs> All right. Ready? So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, this sounds like uh, an ascension text. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How am I doing with that much? Good, good. That's good so far. (laughs) I got ascension on the brain these days. Yeah. Um, So the question is, uh, this is going to come from one of the Gospels or Acts. Yes. Nice work. I'm trying to decide. You've narrowed it down from 66 to 5, folks. And I... Hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't. Uh, I don't think Matthew contains the ascent, uh, the ascension. I know Luke doesn't because it's in Acts. So, um, I don't think it's in Luke. I, I think you're gonna try and trick me and uh, make me go to the Gospels. So here, here I am again, uh, determining this based on Pastor Wolfmuller's psychology rather than my knowledge of the Holy <laughs> Scriptures, which is really sad. But I'm gonna go. Really... I'm gonna go with Axe. <laughs> That's close. Ah. That's close. <laughs> Mark. Mark. Mark 19. I mean, this is. I think this is the clearest text for the right hand business, um, because Axe has it uh, that he disappeared from their sight. This sort of thing. But Mark actually here tells us where he sat down. Ah. He has this divine insight. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So when we say in the creed, he sat down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, then uh, that's that's coming from Mark and a few other places in the Scripture. I mean, I think Acts has it as well, but not in the Ascension text. But the right hand business, that's Mark. That is Mark. And um, let's see, law and or gospel. Uh, Christ's Ascension, I think, is gospel. Um, that we uh, that that Christ has has done the work for our salvation, uh, has risen from the dead, and has uh, walked uh, amongst the the apostles for for forty days, and now he he goes to be with the Father. Uh, I don't I don't see how that could be law. Uh, I think that I think that's gospel. It shows us the uh, the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, I think it's right, and then and the ascension. There's some marvelous theology with the ascension. I mean, just really fantastic. That uh, in the incarnation, 
But let's try this little couplet. In the incarnation, God comes down into our humanity. In the in the ascension, our humanity is taken up into the life of God. So, uh, and if you want some theosis business, then that would be an all right place to find it. Because when Jesus ascends into heaven, he takes his human nature, his, his humanity, he takes it, he takes it with him. In other words, he takes us with him. And all sorts of things now are restored. For example, um, when Jesus ascends into heaven, he then pours out his Holy Spirit. And there's this passage in John, in John that says the Holy Spirit hadn't been given because Christ had not yet been glorified. But then 10 days after the ascension, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Peter says that this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, that he will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. You see? So that because Jesus takes humanity up into to the right hand of God, now the Holy Spirit is restored to all people. There's some marvelous things happening here with the ascension. Uh, uh, perhaps one of the most joyous is to look at Ephesians chapter 4, at where it quotes Psalm 68, He ascended into heaven that he might give gifts to men. So his ascension was for the purpose of giving us gifts. And then it lists the gifts. Some apostles, some prophets, some pastors and teachers, uh, for the uh, some evangelists for the building up of the church, for the doing of the work of the ministry, uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, he, he ascends so that he can send out gifts to us. And we rejoice then that Jesus still is, 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 is taking care of us as church. In um, fact, that's why he ascended. And, and this, uh, this, that quotation you just read from Ephesians 4 says, uh, when, the, uh, when he ascended on high, he led, the cap- led captive a host of captives. And, and so we who were who captive of our sin are now uh, captivated by God and him, him leading us to heaven. Um, as, Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, we, we sort of get this uh, language in, in Luther's Bondage of the Will, that um, your will is captive um, – by either God or Satan, not not free will, as if, as if we're choosing, as if we choose God or Satan. Yeah. Here's another Ephesians passage. He says, this is Ephesians 2, 6, and it says, He and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so, that, so that the Christians, the Lord's people, are actually sitting in heaven now. We look around and we see us that we're walking around the earth, but that but we are seated in heavenly places in Christ because Christ, when he ascended, took us with him. He led captivity captive, uh, just like you said uh, there. This is really uh, fantastic. So with the ascension of Jesus, there's a lot of kind of essential theology for us to meditate on. That's it. And we need to go to another break. Uh, more... You get 200 points, by the way. All right. More law, gospel, slash Bible B after this. And if we have any time left over, we'll do some Name That Theologian. Don't go away. For more Table Talk Radio. Everyone's favorite critical event. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Everyone's longing to hear the score, I'm sure. So, Pastor I know Wolf, I am. Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Wolfmuller has uh, 1,200 points, um, including his theological buzzword. 
1,200 points. Have you even ever heard of such a... Yeah, I think I remember getting a million. I think I think I hold the record for the most points awarded in a game before. Because I gave you some super hyper inflated number that because I didn't think you would get the answer right. Right. <laughs> Are you gonna tell me how many points I have, or is it just a one set of game? Oh here? yeah, four hundred and two. Four hundred and two. <laughs> Wait a minute, are you sure? Yeah, you got two hundred and two for the first one, and then two hundred for the second one. Don't you get 200 points for the book of the Bible and then 200 points for law and gospel? Yeah, yeah, but you missed the book of the Bible both times. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up. But. <laughs> so, anyway, you are, you, are you ready for your you last one? <laughs> now, the last one I'm you re- get... <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> you get one word, and your yeah. one word is... And it goes along with the uh, the theme so far. So that should be a pretty big hint. But your one word is manna. Manna? All right, so so this is also then in the seven letters to the churches. Because you could have manna, for example, in, Deuter- or in uh, um, uh, Exodus or Deuteronomy. Jesus talks about manna, John 6. And then there's the 1 Corinthians te- text about manna. Um, right, but if it's one of those, they wouldn't have pre- prefaced it with... It, goes it fits in the same. The so, so those are the other. But here, it it comes across also in the Revelation. Now, I'm trying to think of the seven letters and how it would come. Um, I don't remember manna from any of the seven churches, the letters. Uh, so I don't know. You better give me the verse and then. Okay, I'll give you the entire verse and give you minimal points if you get it after this. All right. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has said to the churches. To him who overcomes. To him that will give some of the hidden manna, I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Oh, the hidden manna. This this verse is a really mysterious one because nobody really knows what this white stone is. Um, maybe a reference to the Urim and Thurim, uh, which, which, which we, we use, use on table. <laughs> for uh, answer the question as. But, but nobody really knows. This is cool. This is quite a mystery. What is the hidden manna? This is the best I think I can do with that, is that you remember in the Ark of the Covenant, there was three things, and then four, and then three again. There was the pot of manna, so that would be the hidden manna, and then the Ten Commandments, the tablets that Moses uh, chiseled because he broke the first pair when he got so mad at seeing the Baal worship, and then the rod of Aaron that bloomed into almonds. And then they added the bronze serpent, and then they had to destroy the bronze serpent later because people were worshiping it. So that I think the hidden manna is going to be that little pot of manna that's hidden, um, that's hidden in the ark of the covenant. And here, the the like all of these letters to the churches, Jesus promises to the one that overcomes, or to the one that endures, or the one that whose faith lasts till the end, he will take care of them. And here he's feeding them with this manna even from the ark of the covenant. Uh, which is really himself. I mean, this is a Jesus uses manna as a picture of the incarnation. So, so in John chapter six, Jesus says, uh, "I am the bread that came down from heaven." Normal, normal bread. In other words, a normal person comes up from the earth, like wheat and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You, you know, you plant it in the earth and then it grows up. That's how a normal man comes down or comes up from the earth. But Jesus is the man that came down from heaven, like this miraculous bread. And so he is God who is then joined into our humanity in the incarnation. And so when he says, I'll give you this hidden manna, he's saying, I will give you myself. So I think this text is gospel. 
I agree. I think it's gospel. So, um, 200 points for that. Thank you. I guess that's I'm running it. out of room for all these points. Oh, stop it. Okay. Your all right, look, I'll give me. you a little bonus here. A thousand points. Oh, no, I'll give you 800 points. This will give you a chance at taking back the lead. Oh, 800 points if you get this right. Imperishable. Imperishable. I don't know. Um, imperishable. Uh, I want to maybe say this is from one of Paul's letters, but I could be, I'm probably wrong. Um, I don't know. Um, let's just guess Ephesians. Ephesians? That's close. I knew I was going to be close. <laughs> You had two choices, 1 Corinthians or 1 Peter. Especially 1 Corinthians 15. This comes up all over the place. Yeah, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Verse 50, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 52, the dead will be raised imperishable. Verse 53, this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then the next verse, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay. Um, great. <laughs> Look, oh, um, I've got you. I've got you on your heels now. I've got the momentum of this whole show is going my way. I don't know how you're going to be able to come back from this. I should. I should maybe read the Bible once in a while so I can get some of these points. <laughs> oh, you're too busy with your homework at the seminary. Oh. Yeah, I'm too busy with homework at the seminary. I don't have time to read the Bible. That's right. <laughs> so, um, okay, is there a particular verse of those you want me to pick for Law of Gospel? Yeah, take this whole genre of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the resurrection chapter there. Um, uh, let's see here. I'll give you the last one then, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Perishable, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then comes to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah. So uh, with, with these... Uh, immortal bodies that we have or sorry these sorry let me show you again with these mortal bodies that we have um uh, on account of what christ has done for us um we we are given then immortality on account of what he has done uh, so um in 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 uh, genesis is it that says uh, uh he who sins shall surely die um and then we then are sinners and so that we see that uh, because of our sin, we deserve death, um, but but Christ has, has defeated death on the cross, and He has risen from the dead. And so, in our baptism, we are joined with His immortality, and uh, are, are given eternal life. So, um, I'm actually going to say this is law and gospel because it shows us our our mortal state, but it also shows us our immortality in Christ. All right, I'll give you 200 points for that. Good. Well, I'm, I'd like to talk about that more, but we have three minutes left. Maybe time for one theologian if we hurry. All right. Um, you want to do mine, or do you have one, one of yours you want to do? Well, either way, you, you want a chance for some more points? I'll You're not going to get these. I'll save, the, really I'll save the embarrassment. I'll give you mine. All right. Okay, here we go. <laughs> what may lead to when uh, 
uh, what it may lead to when lex orendi lex credendi is used to subordinate doctrine to the liturgy may be seen in the development of the Lord's Supper into the mass of the Catholic churches in the East and the West. Both the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic emphasizes the norm for the liturgy is divine revelation. That revelation, however, they do not find in the Holy Scripture, but also in the tradition in which the Holy Spirit reveals further truths to the Church, which go beyond what is given in Scripture. These churches have then lost the norma, normas, uh, which, uh, according to the according to which the liturgy of the Mass derived from the Church tradition can be tested. Oof. Marvelous. Uh, talking about the danger of this rule, lex arindi, lex credendi, uh, what the rule of prayer is, the rule of faith, so that what matters is how we worship uh, most of all. Rather than understanding what is the most important is the Lord's Word, and this then informs the way we worship. So it puts the cart before the horse. Uh, and this, so warning us of this, the kind of high church danger here would, might be someone like, um, I've got two guesses. I think the first is my most solid. Someone like Herman Sasse, or uh, Doctor, even Doctor Markwort, the saint of Doctor Markwort. But I think oh. I'm going to guess Herman Sasse. Oh, you're going to go off of one one quote. Okay. Um, oh, I get three quotes. Yeah, Ooh. but we're out okay, of time. Okay. <laughs> so t- tell you what, this is going to be kind of cheap, but um, I'm going to I'm going to Read one more, and then I'll, I'll let you make your guess, see if you have another idea. And then we can talk about the third quote online. Okay, right. so here, here's the second one. From the beginning, the celebration of the Lord's Supper remembers the one sacrifice which Christ offered on the cross. From Paul, it is already quite clear that there is a meal here which is tied up with that sacrifice and at which is received, eaten and drunk, uh, that which was sacrificed by Christ on the cross. About this one sacrifice of Christ... The number of things are said to extol it at the meal where he is, where he gives his sacrificial body and blood to be eaten and drunk. Uh, can one stop extolling? Oof. I get I oh, that just kind of broadens it a little bit. But I think I'm going to stick with Sasa. I think that's the best I can guess. Okay, it is Herman Sasa. <laughs> so you have about thirty seconds to elaborate on this if you want to. <clears throat> You guys should go and read Herman Sasa. How about that? That's whenever I get depressed. You know about this? I, you know the the thing that makes me most depressed is, is so if I want to be in a kind of a gloomy mood, I think about our synod <laughs> and uh, and church politics and all the stuff that's going on and all of this sort of thing. But you know what my uh, solution for this sort of depression is? Is to go and read a churchman like Herman Sasa, because he has such a great way of bringing about the gospel when it comes to church. And he says, look, it, this church belongs to Jesus. It's always been in trouble. It's always been a bit miserable. It's always been weak, and it's always been tempted, and it's always been falling apart. And yet Jesus is always pleased to be in the midst of her, uh, forgiving her sins and and calling her to himself and and giving out his gifts in spite of our not deserving them. Uh, and this is really quite wonderful. And he and he loves the Lord's Supper, Herman Sasa, because that in in the Lord's Supper, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's forgiving our sins and he's giving us his gifts. And that's all the time we have for the regular version of Table Talk Radio. Uh, if you're listening online, you can hear one more quote from Herman Sasa, and uh, and then we'll uh, see you next week. So thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio on the radio, where the points are like the. Uh, no lifeguard above the baptismal font at the Baptist church. <laughs> Is that not funny? <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. All right. 
Thanks for uh, staying with us, those of you who are listening online. And uh, I have one more quote for you. All right. Uh, oh, we're still lines... going. Yeah. All right. Aren't you getting used to this yet? Two lines of thought have been developed. The one trusts the doctrine of the identity of the sacrifice of the Mass with the sacrifice on the cross. The sacrifice of the Mass is an actual sacrifice. The sacrifice on the cross is an actual sacrifice. And yet they are one sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Mass is not a repetition of the sacrifice on the cross, but its remembrance, its being made present, and its application. Nevertheless, the sacrifice of the Mass is said to be, in fact, a propitiatory sacrifice. Yeah, that's Trent, by the way. Anyone that says that the sacrifice of the Mass is not propitiatory, in other words, an earning of the forgiveness of sins, is anathema. Oof. I, br- I bring this up to my Roman Catholic friends, and I say, because they, they want to... Uh, modern Catholic theology is really fooling around a lot with the idea of a sacrifice. Um, in fact, you could, I think you could say that, that most of the liturgical reflection of the last century has had to do with, in, in, at least with the Roman Catholics, it has to do with what a sacrifice is. And, uh, and they're a bit confused. You can't really get a straight answer out of them uh, because... Because they really don't want to say that the sacrifice of the Mass is a propitiatory sacrifice, except for the fact that that's what they say. <laughs> uh, and so they're, they're trying to sort that thing out. But it's now Luther does it better. He says it like this, and this would be in um, Against the Heavenly Prophets, I think. He says, we have to distinguish between the way the forgiveness of sins is won and the way the forgiveness of sins is delivered. It's won once for all in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's delivered through the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, absolution, preaching the gospel, etc., etc. And, so, um, uh, and so there's a connection, a marvelous connection between the cross and the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper or the Mass is not a sacrifice that's earning the forgiveness of sins. It's a sacrament that delivers the forgiveness of sins. And so Sasa, when he's distinguishing these two ways of thinking here, um, you have the Roman idea, which makes everything a sacrifice. And then you have the the Lutheran understanding, where there's one sacrifice, one priest, and then then a a number of delivery men to bring that sacrifice to bear. You know, by the way, where the Roman Catholic Church gets their uh, doctrine of the priesthood is from the words of institution when Jesus says, do this often in remembrance of me. And so that so that they see that as the institution of a new set of sacrifices. And if you have sacrifices, then you have to have priests. Right. Hmm. Uh, so, so the Council of Trent will even say, if anyone says that the words "Do this often in remembrance of me" do not establish a new a new priesthood, a new order of priesthood, let them be anathema. There's another way wow. you're anathema. Yeah. Well, if you're go- if you're going by Trent, at least. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and Luther would call it. I think Luther calls this the greatest idolatry because it puts man in the work of redemption. You see, if the sacrifice of the mass is a work of redemption, a redemptive act, and man is is the one that's offering it, you see, either the priest or now after Vatican II, all the people together come to offer the sacrifice, then then man becomes part of the winning of our salvation, which is essential to Roman Catholic theology, but essentially the opposite of the scriptures, which say that God alone does all of the work. And that's the brilliant thing with the cross. Jesus is the, is the priest who sacrifices himself. Uh, there is no 
positive participation of mankind. It's all negative. He's there by himself suffering. And this is and this is now why we can be assured that that uh, our salvation is secure because Jesus did it and he doesn't and he doesn't do things wrong. Yeah, and that that's where all, all of our assurance comes from is that is that promise. Yes, exactly. All right, well that's a pretty good table talk radio in the books this time. Thanks for listening to the extended edition once again. And uh, try us again next week. Maybe we'll uh, get some more points, or I'll get more points. <laughs> Doubtful. Visit the yeah. forum, too, and, uh, and call our—we have this phone number that, uh, that we pay for. Yeah, give us that number. <laughs> 1-800-ANATHEMA. <laughs> <laughs> or 1-866-851-5523. <laughs> See you next time on Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the— high-definition TV converter at the local Amish Five and Dime. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.